We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. We are brought to you, or brought to you uh, this week, as we always are, by WinBet. And I'm really excited to have Chris Blessing of Baseball HQ on the show this week. Uh, usually this time of year, Chris and I are riding around in, in a car, going to going to some games out in Arizona, talking about prospects that we like and stuff like that. But I was unable to do that this year. But Chris was still out there at First Pitch Arizona. He also got some backfield looks on some guys, including Wilman Diaz. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of live looks. But first of all, Chris, how are you doing? Uh, how was First Pitch Arizona? I am doing well, uh, James. And you were definitely missed at First Pitch this year. We had fun nonetheless. Uh, and I guess because of people like you and people like uh, like DVR and some others that weren't there this year, I, I spent more time at the fields compared to, you know, uh, BSing with all of you about different things. So uh, I got to follow Chris Welsh around, Eno Saris, uh, Eric Cross, and uh, uh, and um, Chris Clegg uh, also kind of followed us around. When he, they gave me a ride, so I let them go along, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but anyway, like we, you know, it was a little contingent of just some game watching and uh, had a blast. We were had a little bit less of attendance, mostly due to the COVID uh, mm-hmm. pandemic. But overall, it was a good conference. And the demographics of the conference tended to be younger, which is, uh, uh, it, it was funny. Uh, I had a Q&A, a prospect Q&A with Eric Longenhagen from Fangraphs uh, at Surprise Stadium. And at the same time, Clay uh, Link and Ryan Bloomfield and Rob Silver and Justin Mason had a NFBC talk over on the other side of the stadium. And it was amazing to see the the breakdown on demographics. Uh, we had older people uh, and, and some younger people with the prospect crew, but most of the 20-somethings and the early 30-somethings were with those NFBC guys. And it really made for a good, like they were, everybody was able to get something out of this. And I think that was, that that was key at any conference that you have breakouts that people can get something out of. Yeah, man. I remember the the first time I went, uh, probably like six years ago, I remember looking around that first morning in the conference room and I felt like I was one of maybe five or 
10 tops people under 40 in the in the entire room um so that's that's crazy uh how things are, are kind of shifting there um what it, I, I wanted to ask you like because I, I remember back then um i feel like there hadn't been quite this sort of prospect boom um necessarily in in the industry and i was just wondering if you'd kind of noticed um in terms of like the attendees do you, do you feel like you get more people walking up to you wanting to top prospects than when you first went? Or do you think that maybe the attendees in general maybe are more knowledgeable about the prospects that they're about to see than, than in past years? Well, you know, like every, every conference starts out with like an AFL uh, scouting session, which is usually uh, run by somebody from MLB.com. This year it was Eric Logan Hagen from, from Fangraphs that ran it. And, uh, we have some, we'll call them special guests, uh, friends of James and I, but, uh, you know, not necessarily guys that we advertise that are going to be there. And I would say that that this year it was a little different because we only talked about really hitters. Uh, there were a few pitchers that were discussed, but overall the pitching in the league and, and as you can, uh, you know, as you can explain as well, the pitching seemingly gets worse and worse every year. And like, it's been, it's been like this gradual drop. And then this year it was like that. Yeah. When, when Welsh and I were previewing it, I mentioned four pitchers and that's it. <laughs> I was just they, like, there's only, there's between two to four pitchers that if they're pitching at the game you're at, then it's, then it's noteworthy if, if they are. And they and all probably happened on the same day. Uh, Cause I, I had a choice of going to see Mackenzie Gore and uh, Slade Ciccone. I picked that game because my media pass was there. Uh, the other game going on at that same time was Asa Lacey versus Evan Federer. And that was pretty much my, like, both of those pitching matchups were really interesting for different reasons, of course. And I wish I could have been at the same place at the same time. Uh, and because of uh, conference obligation, our prospect Q and A, uh, the only other place that was, you know, other matchup that was um, interesting was being able to see the two big Dodger arms there, Bobby Miller and Landon Knack. And unfortunately, I couldn't be in two places at one time, so I missed out on that. If uh, the listeners want to get some uh, information on that, I believe that. Uh, Chris Clegg and Eric Cross were at that game. Uh, so just look up their Twitter handles and find their, their content from that. I'm sure they have some video and some mile per hour data. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you brought up SLAC and that like, that led me um, to thinking about something I, I kind of noticed when I first saw the, the AFL rosters, it seemed like maybe more so in past years, guys got sent to the AFL where I just would have no real expectation of them being able to hold their own. Um, I don't know if, did you kind of notice that the play in general was a bit worse than in past years? Cause that's sort of what I would have expected heading out there if I'd been able to make it. Well, watching a guy like Rocky's prospect is Eagle Tovar, who, uh, you know, had a hot uh, spring training and then had a hot low a season mm -hmm. and then got bumped up to high a you could see that the advanced breaking ball and even the advanced fastball, the high riding fastball really gave him fits. I saw him three times and in two of those games, he actually had some highlights and in, intermixed into the, 
the struggles against the spin. However, it was it was very obvious a guy like him was having difficulty. I would say that my one really good look at Luis uh, at Luciano was was the same way. Where this is a little bit more advanced than you would think for a guy like that. Uh, and I think, but at least in the Giants, you know, because we all know Rocky's player development is. Uh, you know, our joke during uh, one of our rides with Brad Johnson and from NBC and Eno Saris from Athletic was trying to figure out the worst organizations in baseball. And like, there's a 30th and it's the Rockies. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you move from there and it might be 29 yeah. Angels. And then about five to eight clubs could fill that next three spots. But um, so, like, with him, who knows why he got sent there? He played the full season. I don't think he was injured at all or anything like that. And he's really kind of an emerging bat in their organization. Uh, but there was a reason uh, we feel like the Giants, who are one of the better run player development groups in the in in baseball right now, we feel like there was probably a reason why they had Luciano uh, in uh, the AFL. Maybe they feel like he's a kid that needs that challenge. Uh, I, I know that his season wasn't as, you know, uh, glorious as some other guys this year, but like he was the youngest guy in his league. So almost every time. Yeah, that, that was an interesting assignment. Um, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about Luciano until the, the AFL is kind of wrapped up just to kind of agree. I mean, it's the same thing with Tovar. Um, well, let's talk about some guys who were definitely fitting of a big name prospect who would head to the AFL. Uh, we could start with Spencer Torkelson, who would have probably been my pick heading into to the league as as the MVP of the league. Uh, you got a live look at him. Uh, how did he look? I saw him three games, which I, I had an extended look at him as well. Uh, he was on the Salt River team. I saw Salt River three times, so that's why I was able to see Tovar three times, Brett Beatty three times. I, I got some good looks at some guys that uh, normally – as James can attest, you only get to see a team once, maybe twice. So uh, big bonus there. And uh, what I saw with Torkelson, Torkelson, it's one of those things where a guy just belongs. And I saw him against Mackenzie Gore the first game, and he had three at-bats against Gore. And Gore was throwing harder than he had been pretty much all the season, all, all this last season. He was in the mid-90s. And he retired Torkelson on the first two uh, at-bats essentially working him with a fastball, uh, hitting his location, because Gore's fastball isn't the most quality, uh, you know, quality pitch there. Uh, and he was hitting his location and staying low, because that that's really the track record on Torkelson, is you can get him out low, which, of course, in, in today's day, everybody's throwing four seams fastball. So if you, you know, like it, it even makes you excited for Torkelson against today's pitching, because it's like, Oh my God! This guy's going to feast on on that high uh, fastball diet that everybody seems to get. But that third at bat, uh, he made an adjustment. Essentially, he saw where Gore was pitching him, and Gore missed. I wouldn't say by a lot. I mean, it was close. It was in the vicinity of where he wanted to throw the pitch, and Torkelson pulled the ball on the outer half of the uh, plate down the uh, pull side line, left field line for a double, which scored multiple runs. Uh, Chris, uh, Carlos Cortez and Brett Beatty from the Mets both scored on that uh, on that hit. So, like, the explosiveness, and I didn't get to see a BP from him that's always kind of scattered in Arizona. Uh, 
and we didn't have false stars. So like that would have right. been an interesting see, thing to see him there. Uh, but the, his ability to adjust during, uh, during a game and during it at bat uh, leads me to believe that this top prospect, one of the top prospects in baseball is ready for that next step. How do you see the, the power and the hit tool um, kind of projecting out with him? Like, is it, is it going to be power over hit significantly? Are they going to be kind of close? Like, how do you see that sort of playing out? Uh, you know, I haven't seen the swing and miss on, on the lower end stuff. I would say that it's going to be more power over hit, but I would say that they're a lot closer than people think. Uh, I, we, we saw Andrew Vaughn um, emerge this year, I guess. I don't know if we call it emerge. Uh, debut? Uh, um, we saw him debut. He he took his lumps at times. Uh, I don't think his usage was really that great uh, uh, by by Larusa. But like we saw a guy that has both a hit and a power tool, you know, struggle a lot with the hit tool at times. And like I could see that happen to Torkelson, but just like Vaughn, like I'm not down on Vaughn. Like no, he's not. He's out. He's out of my realm of things now. But like I'm not down mm-hmm. on him. I think that the the guy's going to be a at least a 280 hitter and. Uh, with a bunch of power and you know i kind of project uh i won't say kind of that's i project torkelson to be in the same rate range of player uh, like if i'm looking at the me at the minor leagues right now guys that haven't debuted uh he's in that next group after adelaide uh rushman like i i really do believe like he's in that next group with like tristan casas and a few other uh guys that could hit for a big average and some power uh and, and some big power too, uh, you know, in that next group of guys that could emerge as, as relevant major leaguers. I mean, you mentioned Casas. Why don't we just go straight to him? Uh, how, how did he look? Uh, I, I got to see a little bit of his batting practice. I also got to see uh, approximately one game. I, I chose uh, the playoff game between the Giants, the fifth game of the Giants-Dodger game over – uh, sitting through what ended up being a marathon of offense at the Mesa game that day. Uh, it was bad. They had, it's the first time I've ever heard them suspend a game because of scoring. Like, it was it was bad. Um, but anyway, um, Cassis – so Cassis was in this crazy uh, crouch before when, he's, when he was swinging. Like, it made no sense. And he's uh, – I got to see him in 2019 at – class a level where he was in this and it didn't really seem like he could get like get to everything he didn't have great plate coverage there was some swing and miss that seemed to have developed and now he's standing up more right he still has a wide base and and all that and as uh, i'm sure you watched some some of him this year uh i mean video tells the story really for him i, I can say that like his his ability to get to pitches uh uh, in I I believe he's somewhat of a guest hitter. Uh, he sits on a pitch and tries to drive it out of the park. But I see this guy making adjustment after adjustment, and like right now, he he'll just you know be discerning to pitches that he can't drive. Uh, eventually, it's going to be something where major league hitters and pitchers are going to get him out on that stuff. So he's shown the ability already uh, in multiple looks through. A four three year period, including uh, the little video I got of him uh, during the uh, alternate uh, training site stuff. Uh, he seems to be a guy that's uh, quick to make adjustments, uh, quick to um, essentially 
better himself. Uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away because there's other writers that that have uh, are cultivating articles right now um, that include Tristan Casas and his approach and that kind of thing. Uh, but I will say, like the power A plays, uh, mm-hmm. he hit a ball that was absolutely tattooed. I believe that you know Saris and maybe Chris Welsh both got video of him and put it on Twitter um, of his blast in that same game. Uh, I. I think that like this is an easy plus power guy. I, I feel like he's a guy that it doesn't matter that that it, it, I mean it's tough unless you hit it right down the line. It's tough to hit home runs as a left-handed hitter at Fenway. Right. I feel like this is a guy that could take advantage of that because of his enormous power. Uh, he has his exit velocities are all up there. Uh, that was the only park in the AFL that has. Uh, that data is Salt River. And of course, that wasn't at Salt River. That was at Mesa. So lose something or Scottsdale. So you lose something there. But um, like, I, I would say that it was an exit velocity of 110 plus easy. Um, I'd say it was in the 112, 113 plus. So when you see exit velocity like that, that's plus plus power. And is there is there any reason to think that a guy like that who who hits left handed would um, see any kind of platoon action? Just given the way the Red Sox are probably going to be operating over these next few years, or do you think that this is just a, a no doubt every day type of guy? I, I mean, I've seen him hold um, hang in against lefties. I didn't get a chance to see that uh, at the AFL, but I did get to see that uh, I think at the Olympics and in video evaluation throughout the year. I hit the videos hard because I had the same teams over and over and over and over again. I, I think I could have seen Bowling Green 26 times or something like that. Um, and I lived three and a half hours away from Bowling Green. But anyway, I did a lot of video analysis and like he seemed to hold up against lefties. But then again, that makeup of that club really kind of allows for a platoon. So like as he's coming into the game, he'll be on the better, better side of the platoon, if right. that makes sense. Uh, and hopefully one, two years in, he starts taking over that role as the starting everyday, uh, you know, first baseman. So another guy that you, you saw who I would have actually been one of my, um, the guys that have been most excited to see uh, is Curtis Mead uh, with the Rays. I mean, he just has hit it at every stop um they've pushed him you know fairly aggressively by raised standards and this was just another case of that them sending him to the afl how did he look a lot better than christopher sanchez who he got traded for i would have probably put you were you're talking about the worst organizations i would have had the phillies probably in the bottom five there so uh, the phillies are definitely in the bottom five uh brad johnson from nbc who's uh, grew up a Phillies fan. It's, it's not necessarily a Phillies fan anymore, but uh, he made a very good argument why they're in the, they're in the top five. Or the bottom <laughs> not, a, five. not a tough argument to make. <laughs> no, not a tough, but he, he outlined it really well. Brad, Brad's a very, uh, uh, I mean, he's very detail oriented guy, a very good guy too. Uh, he, having hung out with him now, I really appreciate him even more and his, his Twitter takes. But anyway, um, I was never really sold on me. Now, I, I, I looked at a guy, and of course, I told you how many times Bowling Green came through. If I told you that I Curtis Mead was never on the roster those 25, 26 times, would you believe me? Like, that's how crazy this was. Like, 
I, this season was so crazy that I had 25 games with somebody and I couldn't even get one of their better prospects. Jeez. Uh, so I had to come out here, uh, come out to Arizona to, to, to do that. And, and like, I was concerned about his load. He has a very long load. Uh, his hands travel a long way. Uh, uh, one of our, um, one of our friends that I can't name their name, uh, comped him to looking a lot like Evan Longoria, mm. uh, the way his mechanics are and his swing is and stuff. And you can see it too. You can, uh, once he pointed it out, it's something, if you go through a Longoria, uh, some Longoria video and then, uh, hit up some, uh, some, uh, Curtis Mead video, you see it. Uh, so it's obvious that like, there's somebody he's mimicking, uh, and it's, it's a very good player. I am a little concerned. Uh, like he gets to, he gets the barrel around and stuff, but it's almost like one of those things where a guy like Keston Hura, uh, who has a lot of movement in his uh, load, it's it's all about timing. And uh, this is a guy that I feel I feel like he's getting he's better than let's say. Hura, and I might be stealing that from somebody. I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes ideas get in your head and you might be stealing them from somebody. Uh, but, like, I really do feel like uh, like this guy is his timing and his ability. When, when we got to see batting practice in Mead, uh, his ability to get loft to the opposite field, the angles that the ball essentially comes off of that bat, like, it just really bodes well for his total power potential. I think it's a plus power back possibly uh i just don't believe in the hit enough uh i mean we're seeing 300 something batting averages thinking about it like 330 or something like that at one of his stops um like i don't know if that's there but i i i think and i i hate to use hura as a cop because then now everybody's gonna be like oh my god i don't you know yeah i'm scared of that guy but i mean that with those timing guys there's there's that possibility that they're gonna go into prolonged slumps and uh, you know, Hura has been in a, what, a three-year slump now. So, like, oh, and, and could get out of it tomorrow if his timing comes back. It's it's that kind of weird thing. He's a guy that, like, I hate that I gave up on him, but, like, I had to because I, I wanted to win fantasy leagues. But <laughs> uh, I also, uh, which I actually won a few this year in home leagues, but I, I don't, like, to roster that kind of guy, it's it's risky. And that's the risk is that he turns into a Kester Hero type because it's so much relied on on timing to get his his bat to a certain place at a certain time so then he can unleash a, a swing. Let's say he did kind of, you know, come close to, to getting like, say, an average hit tool. Um, where would he profile defensively for this club? <laughs> Uh, he would be, uh, as Jason Collette put it, uh, he'd be going everywhere. Uh, Jason Collette, you're one of your Roto-Wire writers. Uh, that's what he was talking about all weekend. You know, any, any, he's up on Rays prospects and, mm -hmm. and like anybody. Uh, he's the biggest Rays fan I really know. So he, he said, he's like, they always have a guy like this, whether it's Ben Zobrist or, um, Sean Rodriguez, or, or a guy that they bring in like Joey Wendell that uh, seemingly can play anywhere. I think his natural position, third base, is, is a stretch. Uh, I don't I don't feel like he has the range there at all. He also has a longer throwing uh, motion. 
I, I could see him almost fitting into a Daniel Murphy mode, like how the Mets used him, where they uh-huh. put him in left field, they put him at second base, they put him at third, first base, they played some third base when they needed him. Uh, like I, there, there's a lot of similarities watching him defensively that I saw that I saw on Daniel Murphy, um, just with the, it, it's it's crude. That's what it is. It's a crude defender. Yeah, if he could field as well as like Joey Wendell, then I would feel better about him. Yeah. Um, especially in that org. I mean, maybe he's yeah. trade bait or something like that. But um, what about Brett Beatty? I mean, Beatty, you know, of, of all these sort of top hitters you sent me, I feel like Beatty is the one where I just can't quite ever feel good about where I've got him ranked. Like there, there's stuff I don't like. There's obvious stuff to like. What did, what did you think of him? I think he's a guy that I appreciate a lot more sitting on him for three games. Uh, I, I've watched the video. I've seen the data that I'm probably, you're, you've probably seen as well. Um, uh, and the data suggests that it's, it's a hit. It's a big hit over power type tool. Uh, the launch angle is not necessarily there. Uh, although I did, you know, kind of notice him try to, um, you know, alter that swing path to get to a ball on the inner half of the plate. Uh, the one thing that was really a consistent thing with him was the velocity that he hit the ball at uh, uh, throughout this thing. You know, we were talking, Chris Welsh and I, and I think Eno was around too, uh, how frequent he got to 100 mile per hour or better uh, exit velocity. Uh, he was not a guy, I, I'm sure his max X might be around 110, 111. Uh, but you're seeing a guy here that is consistently hitting the ball and mind you on the ground or low line drives at about 105 miles per hour, 107 miles per hour around that range. Uh, what he does better than most guys today is he uses all fields. Yep. And I think he's a guy that we've kind of slept on because of that, that launch angle, the lack of launch angle within his swing. Uh, you know, he does not, he looks like a guy that should get to power uh but like the swing path just says just screams like no uh kind of a throwback player i i like his plate coverage especially uh he was uh very i would say he was the most heady hitter that i saw in my extended look i felt like i came away thinking that i had him as a outside the top 50 guy i don't know where he would have fit outside the top 50 but like, that's what I thought of him. Uh, I left there thinking that he could be somewhere around the 25 range. Wow. Um, uh, that That's how, how much I believe in that hit tool. And I have this thing in, uh, in my process that when I see a hit tool like that, I believe that almost in every case, the power has outperformed what I projected. Yeah, And so that's where I'm at with him, where I believe this is a guy that can adjust his swing trajectory. Let's say it, it's just on inside fastballs. And all of a sudden, he's taking every inside fastball and depositing it over the, over the plate, over, over the plate, <laughs> over the fence. Uh, you know, kind of like what in the juice ball era, what Tommy Listello did and what Jeff McNeil did. Uh, guys that relied on a heavy contact hit tool spray tool uh to make it to the major leagues but then took advantage of uh of a very live ball to hit it out this guy has the power to still hit it out he's not a guy that's going to compromise on on the power part it's just it's not going to be a frequent thing if 
if the, you know, uh, somebody that I would bring up that had this type of tool at this point, and mind you, I like this guy a lot better than I like Brett Beatty, was Christian Yelich. Um, so listeners don't, I'm not saying he's Christian Yelich, but I'm saying the ground ball and line drive rates were very similar. And then, you know, we saw a few MVP seasons out of Yelich. And, you know, he kind of he's kind of regressed to that same guy who hits the ball on the ground a little too much now, right? You're the Brewers fan, right? Um, yeah, you know, Yelich is uh I mean, we could we could spend 15 minutes talking about Yelich. Um <laughs> but I, I I think he showed some signs down the stretch. Um, and then he kind of looked back to being pretty overmatched at times over the final uh, couple weeks and then into the playoffs. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Yelich is kind of the poster child for, oh, his ground ball rates too high. And then he makes the adjust- adjustment and it all clicks. Um, you know, of course there are guys on the other side of that too. Um, and Beatty certainly won't be a, a stolen base threat the way Yelich was. I mean, do you, do you think he's, perfectly fine at third base i mean it will work if he hits that's okay. that's what a, he's a much better defender than than Mead is uh so sure. like that's that's there i know that the mets had him working out in left field this year uh the mets have a corner infield influx of guys right now they've got uh a, of course they've got alonzo at first base full time uh brett I mean, Beatty is a third baseman uh, Vietos Vientos is a third baseman who should be a first baseman or designated hitter. Like the best thing to happen to the Mets right now is that they they I, do the DH. I was going to say the Mets the Mets need the NL to adopt two DHs. Um, to yeah, kind of maybe even three. Three, three, three yeah, honest. I mean they, they've got they've got three or four guys waiting for the DH to come to the NL. Yeah, like JD Davis would still would you know is a guy is a perfect candidate for that as well on the major league roster. Um, Dom Smith, yeah. Dom uh, Smith. I, I, you know, I don't mind Dom Smith at first base, but like Pete Alonso has made himself a good enough first baseman that yeah. he doesn't have to DH. So yeah, Dom Smith would also fit that that role as well. So one of the guys I was most excited to hear your take on is JJ Blade because you know I, I really think it's it's kind of um, astounding how little he's produced in pro ball, just given his pre-draft profile of that college hitter mm-hmm. that you take in the top five, you know, who's going to be quick to the majors. I mean, he just really hasn't produced really at all. Um, I mean, he's, he's kept his head above water, I guess, but not relative to his, his pedigree. So what did, what did you think of Bladé? I was, uh, I, I went into the whole season down on him. I had some reports last winter from, from some of our, some of my scouting contacts, that had Marlins coverage uh, that got to see the instructs, whether it was, uh, you know, the use of video or being in person. And they were just not impressed with Bleday whatsoever. Like they were like, this guy is a lot of, a lot of um, helium, but not much substance. And I think that, and I know we're going to get into a guy, uh, another guy from that organization. I think that uh, it, it's best to introduce him now. Um, I really feel like, both of them, uh, Blade is never going to live up to where we had him. It, sure. It's just not going to happen. Uh, there's not enough contact. Uh, and when I say not enough contact, I mean quality contact. Right. Uh, uh, and of course, I say, you know, this is all said at Arizona. In Arizona, everybody's kind of in agreement. And then he absolutely tattoos a ball. But like, 
the thing is, is what I saw during the season, both in, in person and video looks and what I saw in Arizona is that this is a guy that's not getting his bat head around uh, to the, to the happy spot, essentially to, you know, and he is struggling to hit the ball hard. Like it's only to the pull side. And even if he gets there, it's still, it's still questionable. Um, we go to another guy, Cameron, uh, Cameron Misner, right? I'm saying this thing, right? Um, and he's better than Blade. Like he's, he's getting to the contact point. He's, he's getting barrels off the bat. He's getting the loft that you need and creating the angles from his swing to uh, get that ball out of the ballpark on a consistent basis. Like really and truly, Misner's the better prospect. And I think that was something that all of us agreed on that got to see them. I got to see surprise several times, I think three times, maybe total, at least two. And that was what I went away with was that these guys, this, this guy specifically was uh, a blade. Uh, was going to have a hard time being anything, but maybe an average regular, um, didn't get to see his speed in play and didn't get to really see his defense. I don't know how that is. I did get to see a good throw from Misner. Um, and, and really and truly, I, I, you know, Misner's just has a bit of more hit tool with the same sort of power potential and looks to be a better pitcher. And it's also a lot, his game planning of the bats is a lot better as well. And did, did you say you didn't get to see Misner run? Uh, I, I didn't get to see him necessarily run. He ran out of double, but it was one of those, uh, okay. you know, he hit it to the gap. And how, how did he look like? Cause I mean, as a, as a draft prospect, he was like a pretty athletic toolsy yeah. guy for a college hitter. Who's six he's four. definitely, he's definitely more athletic than, than Blade. I would say that he's a plus athlete. Nice. That, yeah. Cause he had kind of a rough start to the year and then he just really came on strong. Um, force that promotion to double a yeah and they, they've got a lot of outfield outfielders that are kind of trying to cement themselves as part of the long-term outfield there um you know jesus sanchez i think is is locked in but then you just have these other guys just kind of vying for a spot so it's going to be crowded um so that's that's interesting that that misner has has pulled yeah. ahead and and one of the things, and I think this is something we'll we'll, we'll go back a few uh, few years here. There's a trade between Arizona and Marlins. Everybody's familiar with it. Zach Gallen and Jazz Chisholm, and everybody was like, "Oh my God!" At the time, what are the Marlins thinking? And now you go and you look at it, and you're like, "Wow, that was a pretty even deal." And what ended up the reason why they were thinking that is, what can the Marlins do well? They can develop pitching. They can develop another Zach Gallon. That's what I that's what I told Eno at the time when that, that happened. Like he was like, What are they doing? I'm like, dude, they like Jazz has superstar upside up the middle and they don't have any of that in the org and they've got a ton of pitching. So like, you know, I and, and as you know, James, almost all of those guys, including Chisholm, have some swing and miss issues. Right. But the thing is, the difference is, is Chisholm is getting to that power. He's getting to that barrel. He's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's, he's creating that loft and stuff. Uh, and then you've got a guy like Monte Harrison who looks really good. Like you go and watch him and he, he looks like a ball player. He looks like a linebacker too. Um, yeah. But like they have a lot of these same sort of guys and they haven't really had success developing them. And it's obvious they like that super athletic type, just like, 
uh, Cameron Misner. All right, should say plus athletic type. And what they have to show for at this point is nothing. So I, I like Misner might be good enough athlete that the baseball skill is coming, but like it almost makes me a little cautious because the Marlins still have yet to develop a guy that that can do this. I mean, Jesus Sanchez, not the, I wouldn't consider him in that same athletic uh, um, realm or that same swing and miss realm, obviously, but like he came from the Tampa Bay Rays. Like he, he was late in his development. He was in AAA already. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know Monte Harrison came when he was in the A ball. Lewis Brinson came when he was in AAA major leagues already. Um, they like a type. Those types don't tend to work out for them. Um, so I like that they're, I hope that they're more creative filling that outfield. Uh, hopefully Misner works out and hopefully they get that other piece to go with Sanchez Misner uh, that, um, you know, through a trade for one of their many uh, fantastic pitching prospects. All right. We are going to talk more about guys that uh, Chris was able to see out in Arizona, including Wilman Diaz, including Mackenzie Gore. But first, a message from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down on blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all Rotowire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. All right, Chris. So I was really excited when you sent me this list over. Um, I know you only saw him for three at bats, but Wilman Diaz has been uh, a tough guy to, to get any eyes on um, since signing and obviously didn't put up um, the type of big time statistics that like Christian Hernandez did in the DSL this year. So what did you see from Wilman Diaz uh, in those three at-bats on the backfields? So just to go go through the backfields. Backfield, uh, I got to see two two backfield games. And it's like roulette. You don't know what you're going to come across when you go there. You might have a an idea. Uh, some teams are better at, at advertising that, even to the scouts. Like things change all the time for the scouts. And uh, – one of our one of our friends uh can't name his name uh told me hey you know i'm coming going over here so and so is going to be there so and so is going to be there i don't know what to expect with the dodgers but if you look at the dodgers roster there's like a hundred guys on that on that instructs league team so you're bound to get somebody and i was i was i never say fortunate in in this in this thing i don't i don't thank teams for anything but it was fortunate to see him because like I, that's a hole. Like you said, there's not anything out there. And I, after, after going through the video that I have, I'm definitely sending, sending some of it to you so you can uh, evaluate some of it for yourself. But anyway, um, Diaz is a, is an interesting case. It's obvious um, for the people who are out there that have no idea what the complex is. The complex is a, um, it is essentially what that is. It's the Meyer League complex uh, that's in their spring training stadiums um, or spring training um, um, parks. And it, it's the crudest baseball you'll ever see in the professional ranks. Like I saw inside the park home run 
uh, that was really like a little league home run. Um, <laughs> that Dodgers prospect who I didn't really get a good look at, Luis Rodriguez, un- unleashed a uh, great throw from the outfield that went over somebody's head. And then the third baseman got to the ball and then threw it, and it was over the catcher's head, and it went, you know, every direction. So, like, really crude. And it was obvious that Diaz had not seen much spin, uh, which is a common thing for a lot of the Caribbean players. Uh, a lot of the um, the handlers in the Dominican Republic or in Venezuela or any of those countries won't let you see the weaknesses of their players. And uh, just like any of us baseball players who played high school ball, yeah, you really start seeing the breaking pitch in high school, good breaking pitches, if you saw good breaking pitches. And so this is his first shot at that. Um, I saw two at-bats against uh, – more premium competition. Uh, I saw one against uh, Matthew Thompson, who is a White Sox prospect, uh, who wasn't really throwing that well, uh, but he got inside on on um, on who are we talking? Diaz. Diaz. Um, I, I just blanked. I'm sorry. Uh, he got inside on Diaz, and Diaz wasn't able to really get around on a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. It was in on his hands. Probably something if he's a little older he doesn't swing at. Uh, second at bat, he was against a college guy that was much more advanced of him and just took advantage of his uh, weakness against seeing spin. It was more, you know, it was minor league spin. It's probably not a guy that's going to make it, but it's a guy that's going to make it to double AA, A, triple A. And we're talking about a kid that is 17 years old. Mm-hmm. who is facing a 23-year-old. Uh, and, and that's the kind of thing that happens. Like we were talking about Tovar and Luciano earlier. Uh, and then that third at bat, that was when it all came together. Um, he got into a very favorable count, got the fastball, and lined it over the uh, shortstop's head. Um, a good exit velocity. Uh, I The swing mechanics on that swing, so like I never really got a good, good, good look at the swing mechanics before then. Because uh, he was flailing at some some advanced breaking pitches, but uh, he got good extension. There, there's some length in his swing. I believe that there's some good bat to ball on the fastball. I feel like he, I feel like once he gets used to the spin, that bat and ball will come to the whole package. Uh, he's a cr- really good athlete. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't get to see a really good sprint out of him because, of course, that was a line drive and it wasn't wasn't anything that was. Uh, um, that he really had to run out or anything in the field. He was slick. He was surprisingly slick. Uh, he good footwork, good hands. Got to balls into the um, into the hole. Uh, he had a double play in I think the second inning where he really bailed out his uh, pitcher, a uh, kid named Robles, uh, lefty, and a bit interesting arm. Dodgers have down like if you ever get to watch a Dodgers affiliate, it's like every guy is somebody right. who's kind of interesting. Right. Um, <laughs> And so, like, it's one of those things, like, you don't want to get too excited about, but it's always exciting to watch Dodgers and Yankees uh, um, complex ball. Um, But the thing that I was impressed the most about was generally just the athletic ability. Like, it was obvious that, like, there's a lot of things, and it will be curious to see where he starts out next year. Uh, The Dodgers tend to take a little bit more time. but like I would say that like I don't know. There's things that there's. I had one person tell me like this is kind of what we saw on Andy Pages uh, the year before uh, the shutdown. Like that there were 
these flashes of what I saw, like this this guy that's still not really getting breaking pitches. And like Andy Pages took bigger steps forward this year than a lot of prospects uh, take in like a two, three year period. So like if they're comparing him to advancing like Pages, I mean, we could see him in low A next year and we could see him, you know, show that he's a top 100 prospect like Pages is. I'm a little apprehensive. I um, One of the funny things, like one of the reasons why I appreciate James so much, not just because you're on the show, I tell that's behind your back as well, um, is that James has a, a very uh, uh, thought out and uh, complete process when he's looking at guys. And he and I differ on some of the younger guys. James is, uh, if you're reading James, if you're on that, uh, subscriber to Rotowire, you'll find out that he's on guys a lot earlier than let's say I am on guys. Um, that's uh, one of his biggest specialties. So like, I'm a little apprehensive of putting a guy like this in my top 50 right now. Um, but like the athletic ability, I, he, he's at least for me around a top 100 guy. He's probably on the good side of that top 100 uh, for fantasy and, and might be a little higher for non-fantasy just because of the slick fielding that I'm seeing at shortstop. Him sticking there is, of course, a big deal for us in fantasy too. How, how did he look um, like his physical dimensions? Like how do you – what's the body look like now in terms of like height, weight, and like where do you see it kind of going? Uh, there's power definitely developing in that. There's there's a little bit of lankiness but not much. I, I – you know, this is this guy's going to be a powerful dude, and and that was one of the things I was worried about whenever I go and look at younger prospects. They haven't filled in their body. I got to see Dominguez this year, who's completely filled into yeah, his he, body. He, uh, I mean, that guy's a man. Uh, it's scary. It, it's scary how much he's a man. Um, but like that's that's the thing is, uh, you know, there's room to grow into that frame. Um, I don't know what they had him listed on the program at. But I remember commenting to the scout, uh, one of the scouts that was there, I was like, yeah, he's definitely not that. So you think it like 6'2", 6'3"? Like... Yeah, he's 6'2", 6'3", probably around 180, he's 170. Yeah, I mean, that... like, I think they have him listed at like 150. Oh, yeah. Um, or something yeah, I mean, like that. To, so... to me, that's that's kind of the sweet spot. Like if you're talking about a 17-year-old, yeah. you you want him to be like that. To me, that's like the biggest turnoff with Dominguez is his body at his age to me. Um, yeah, whereas like Diaz, here. like, you know, that's you want kind of like 6'2", 175, something like that. Um, and then you can add good muscle without it compromising your swing and, and your speed and stuff like that. Um that's they had really him cool. batting second. I'm I'm looking through my thing right now. They had him batting second in a lineup, like I said, with Luis uh, Rodriguez and a couple other interesting prospects as well. Well, let's talk about Rain Doncone because I he's a guy where like I just saw you know limited video back when he signed, but I just from the video was really impressed with his physical presence at such a young age. Like it looked like he had. Um, you know, kind of grown into his frame already, maybe was kind of ahead of some of his peers um, in terms of filling out and stuff. And uh, you could see some of the physical upside there, but how, how did he look now? Cause this, the video I'm talking about is probably two years old at this point. They had him uh, at third base uh, and he looked like he was uh, a little more developed than, uh, than uh, his shortstop Diaz. Uh, and what I noticed there was like, his bat to ball skill was much more advanced right now 
than Diaz and a lot of those other guys. So most of that lineup was 2002 and uh, later birth dates. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing a lot of guys that were uh, essentially still teenagers. Um, and I, I just, I mean, that was the biggest takeaway from him. Uh, I, he looked the part of a third baseman when he was at the plate. Now, of course, he didn't get tested like, uh, well, I did see a good throw from him. That was so uh, not a good throw. I saw that throw that uh, went uh, sailing by the catcher on that infield uh, on that uh, little league home run that was hit by uh, by that dude on the White Sox. But like um, his he he has a sturdier base. He is uh, like I, I feel like right now, although I did not see it in my look, I feel like this is a guy that's going to get to power a little quicker um, when we're looking at the complex. Uh, you know, the Lucianos of the world are the rare, uh, rare, rare birds that are, you know, teenagers that uh, understand uh, how to get lift out of their swing and all that kind of stuff. More guys are, are like these two, but it, it seems like he is a little bit further ahead uh, than Diaz on his development of getting to that power. I, 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 I firmly believe like uh, this guy is not too far. Of course, he's not as athletic as Diaz, so you probably give Diaz a little pump, and he's the top 100 on my list. This guy's not that far off. Like, I really feel like uh, he de- he definitely debuts at a at a full season next year, low A in um, in the California League, and I mean, I could see this guy taking off a lot quicker just because he also seems to have a a, a better reactions to the to spin. Uh, he, they were facing some quality spin, maybe not the greatest pitchers in the world, but like Thompson has a pretty good hook. Uh, if he could ever command his fastball, he'd be somebody. Um, and uh, the other dude that's escaping my my uh, my mind right now had really good spin, and like this kid was holding, was hanging in with some more advanced pitching. Yeah, man, the Dodgers are just nuts. Um, the way that they yeah. sign talent and develop talent, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, uh, Westcott, you mentioned that you saw him. I mean, he was uh, kind of your classic power hitting corner prep corner infielder uh, heading into the draft. What did you see from Koth? Well, uh, some concerning um, concerning things. Uh, first off, uh, he has a very terrible bat load, which creates a, a hitch in his swing. And, like he had trouble hitting anything over 90 miles per hour, like getting, even getting the bat on it, he'd have to cheat. And that's not something you'd like to see in the complex. Like you would like to see more reactions and stuff. And granted he's going against an organization where everybody throws hard. Uh, but he's also in an organization that until this little free agent spending and these trades that they've made have struggled developing yeah. Uh, prospects and Big so like he's he's a guy that's really fallen off of my radar and having seen some of the data from this season as well um it, it's hard for me to have him in a uh, top 200 and i thought like he'd be that kind of player um i don't go as deep as james so like i only have to worry about 200 people in my internal list but like yeah he's somebody that i need to see be able to um adjust uh and right now i mean he he struggled lefty righty even if he was seeing the ball better he could not get that bad head around and uh, most of his contact was in the air to the opposite field and foul 
Well, what really quick, I want to talk about process before we get to some of these pitchers because that that brought something up that I I think about a lot, and that's when you have a prep hitter, um, you know, high pedigree guy comes into pro ball, and all of a sudden there are some red flags right away with the hit tool and maybe just some part of their offensive game is not as good as advertised. Um, to me, like I've kind of been learning it's better to kind of get off of those guys fairly quickly than to be really patient because, you know, when you're, when you're playing complex ball or, or even low a, if you're, you're age appropriate, like you shouldn't be really, really struggling. Um, you know, with, with the hit tool at that stage, if, if you, yes. if you're going to go places, is that kind of the way you think? I agree. I I've learned a lot the last few years. Um, I, I've been an associate scout for a team, uh, which is essentially a bird dog. It's an unpaid thing, but it's created a lot of good experience for, for me and to be able to bounce stuff off of a scout or, or scouts. Uh, I've been able to bounce off a lot of things. Those scouts uh, become you know, people I could trust on uh, on evaluation and stuff where guys I either only have a very limited video look on or don't have a look at on at all. So like, it's been a very beneficial thing for me. And one of the things that, one of the processes that I go through, uh, they essentially want data collection for me. They want video, uh, like uh, the team that I help out, I was able to get uh, raised prospect, newly raised prospect. He was not a raised prospect at the time. Cooper Kinney, I got to, I got to see him catch. Um, that catching video was gold to that other organization. Uh, I don't work for the race. So, uh, so like that kind of thing, that's what they want. They want me to collect data at high school games. They want me to get, uh, figure out the percentage of strikes that these guys are throwing. My thinking is, is trying to have, trying to figure out how he fits in, in said organization. Uh, how does a guy fit in that organization? Uh, and the organization um, that I've been with, I've been with two over the years, have different strengths um, for how they develop players. So when I see a guy like Wes Calf, um, I think, okay, is the organization going to be able, have I seen guys like this before that got drafted by this organization and ended up turning out into major leaguers? And when I look at a guy from the White Sox organization, I, I know we probably shouldn't. Uh, put too much weight into the teams that guys get to, but it, it really is kind of a, it's a very important thing when ranking these guys. Uh, you know, I, I have more confidence in, you know, let's say a, a pitcher with a, you know, a riding fastball in the Brewers organization or a pitcher, you know, that is commanding his pitches or controlling his pitches in the Indians organization or a batter that is, uh, you know, uh, for instance, Austin Martin got traded to the to the Twins, and I'm ultimately higher on him. Not that the Blue Jays are a terrible organization to develop talent, but the Twins are so advanced in getting angles out of their guys, getting better angles. Uh, and, and Austin Martin's issue that I see is that he struggles pulling the ball. He struggles, you know, something that everybody seems to do, he, he struggles at. And I've seen that organization work wonders with other guys, Alec Kirillov, uh, uh, Trevor Larnich, getting them to pull more without losing the essence of who they are. Uh, so, like, a lot of that goes into that. Um, and I know that was a complete almost all the way around that question. Uh, <laughs> but, like, 
really and truly that's that's how i look at it is how is this guy going to develop and so i'm completely off of west cath um and if west cath was in the twins organization i may still be on him because i believe in their ability to get that out of that swing um but nothing the white Sox have done over the last 20 years in their player development tells me that they're going to do that yeah that's that's really interesting um yeah I, i'm struggling to think of a guy uh who fits that bill for them um, yeah i mean a- andrew vaughn was as complete a, a guy that they got nick magical was the most complete guy or right. the most complete hit tool that they've gotten in the draft like and those guys if they touch them they probably did there's damage. there's a big there's a big difference in developing the best college hitter in a draft class than developing uh an 18 year old power hitter yeah um yeah Let's get to you. You had three pitchers, one on the backfields, two in the AFL that that you got eyes on that I want to talk about real quick before I let you go. Uh, Slade Ciccone, uh, a guy that I was just really happy to see even pitching in the AFL, given that he missed you know the final couple months with a with an arm injury, and then Mackenzie Gore, who obviously has been talked about plenty uh, on this show and other shows, but yeah. I mean, you got to see both those guys. Um, you know. Gore obviously trending down heading into the AFL. Shikoni, you know, was he healthy? Do you he look healthy? What what do you think? All right, let's go with Gore first because that's that's kind of the easier one. Um, I saw him against Salt River. So Salt River's lineup was Torkelson, uh, Carlos Cortez, uh, Joe Gray, Brett Beatty. There was uh, um, the Tofolia guy from the Rockies. I, right, that's how you pronounce it. Ta- I'm probably Taglia. Taglia, there you go, Taglia. I was putting an F in there when there wasn't an F at all. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was hooked on phonics, folks. Um, like seriously. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> a good lineup. Like Salt River has one of the most complete lineups. Uh, and against the three left-handed batters in the in the lineup, um, Gore had nothing for them. Uh, he got Gray out because Gray is not as advanced of a hit tool as uh, Carlos Cortez. Uh, for those who know about Cortez, Cortez is a uh, a Mets prospect that's been listed as a second baseman but hasn't played second base in like three, four years. He's a left fielder or a right fielder who has no power, no no uh, no no launching ability in his swing. Um, it's it's all line drive, um, and not not an exciting prospect at all. But a dude that hangs in against lefties, uh, and Brett Beatty was the same way, and they both hit two balls against him that were exit velocities, 100 miles per hour or more. And it's because Mackenzie Gore has no breaking ball. Um, people who know the story, uh, he scratched his best breaking ball, which was a curveball. He's trying to bring it back. Uh, as uh, Chris Welsh pointed out uh, in our conversation, he flashed one that was really good, but like, ooh, it was ugly other than that. Uh, it's really fastball changeup for him right now. So he's kind of a reverse split guy. Uh, and he's a guy that has to rely that fastball is not quality enough, even though he's throwing harder, it, it doesn't have the quality to it that he can miss. He has to, he has to hit that pitch every time. And he didn't hit those pitches against those lefties. And there was no threat of another pitch, like the changeup. He wasn't comfortable throwing with the lefties. Uh, the changeup has good fading action. Uh, there's no real tells. Uh, the delivery seems to be about what it was, uh, earlier this year um at the beginning part of the year 
Um, it, it's just been ugly. It went from somebody who seemingly uh, could repeat a very crazy looking delivery, uh, non cookie cutter to a guy that no longer can complete to, to isn't able to repeat it. And that, that's something that is very alarming. Uh, definitely out of my top 100 right now. Uh, I would like to see how the rest of the AFL goes. Thankfully, uh, we'll have baseball savant data because they have the um, the out of Salt River, depending on how many starts he makes at Salt River, they have the automated strike zone there. So we can get the, the baseball savant data from there. I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens if the quality of his pitches get better. Because right now, I see an average fastball and I see the only pitch that's trending above average might be that changeup, And that's, that's worrisome. What did you think of his mound presence? And just, could you, could you get a sense of where he was in terms of confidence? I think he was much more confident than I saw prior. Uh, I of course didn't get as many looks as Chris Welsh did. Um, my looks were a few games at El Paso. And then I watched that last, uh, uh, Great Lakes start um, against the Dodgers affiliate, and and he struggled in both of those. So he seemed to keep his concentration the whole time. Um, there were moments where we thought he might be losing it, but he seemed to regain it, which is something that we didn't see earlier in the year. He was a guy that tended to, uh, when once he had one bad thing happen, he'd fall apart. And we didn't see that because there were a few bad things that happened, like I said, Hard contact by the first and second hitter, both lefties. And then that Torkelson double that I was talking about when Torkelson, uh, when we were talking about Torkelson. And then uh, quickly on Chaconi. Yeah, this is really quick. Um, Chaconi um, uh, flashed a good fastball with riding action. Uh, I think he was also maybe throwing something that was getting confused as the two-seamer. Um, like it, 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 was, it was virtually the same pitch. It seemed to be playing better up. Uh, he had zero command of the pitch, and he had less command of the slider. Slider also flashed. Uh, the rumor going around is that he may have been a sticky stuff guy, mm. and uh, it's having trouble adjusting to that, especially with missing all that time pitching. Uh, it's it's really hard to uh, feel like he's their best pitching prospect because I've heard people internally kind of say that. Like he's, they feel like, and maybe his upside's better, but like I can't imagine like. Uh, Walston or uh, Jare Jamison, I can't imagine that they're they're lesser, or even Ryan Nelson. Like, I mean, there's a lot of good pitching prospects in the in the Diamondbacks organization. Hopefully, they actually develop one of them or two of them. But <laughs> I, I mean, but like they, I mean, they're a pretty loaded team. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Jamison at all, uh, but I've like, seen he, I've seen some video. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, looks he really looks, impressive. He looks really impressive, and. Uh, you know, Walston, I, I just feel like his breakouts next year just seems like it's coming. Like he uh, has the both. he has the he checks a lot of boxes of like the the guy that, you know, one year could take a big step forward. Yeah. And it's a perfect I'm, it's a perfect segue to the next guy. I think yeah. We're gonna be Mazzucato. Yeah. So I got to see uh, Royals prospect Frank Mazzucato, um at a instructs game. Um uh, uh, I had connected with a scout friend and he was like, uh, guess who's starting over there? And I was like, who? We were already at surprise. Like it was easy to walk over there uh, for people who are in Arizona or going to Arizona or ever plan to go to Arizona. The Rangers are more than welcoming and compared to every other organization. 
they want you at their games. They want you to see because a lot of their their best prospects are all on the lower levels, and and they had an impressive lineup. I just didn't uh, the angles, the amount of people there. It was really hard for me to uh, concentrate on anybody but uh, a pitcher or something like that. Uh, Mazzucato was thrown in the um, 89, 91 realm. Uh, did good size, good carry on his fastball. Uh, what I really appreciate it was the extension that he was able to achieve in his uh, delivery. He's a guy that, as as uh, our friend uh, Jeff Pontus says, will um, probably end up being in that 95 realm, like, you know, mid-90s type thing that's reaching up there. Like, you can definitely see that kind of velocity coming from him. Uh, like, he's probably maybe two years behind Walston, maybe three years behind Walston in this development curve. Uh, so his breakout might be a little bit later. Uh, he did flash a, a quality curveball, but like it was obvious he was overthrowing. There were some celebrities there in in the audience at that uh, at that thing. Uh, like there was a lot of uh, a lot of people that are known within baseball, including the the father and a son uh, that is in the Texas Rangers organization. The son is uh, ah. uh, Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter was around. Yeah, I mean at Mazzucato, I mean the the curveball was kind of the the top tool for him yeah. kind of heading into the draft. I, I I've had conversations with people about that pick specifically and like, you know, people obviously thought it was like kind of a, a reach or kind of out of left field at the time. Like my, my read on that is like, I think the Royals actually had him highest on their board and knew they could save a ton of money um, taking him there. I, I'm not sure about that, but like, he just seems like a guy that you could fall in love with if you're if you scout a couple games of him at the high school level yeah. where he's really dialed in. Yeah, and I was I was able to see him. I was able to see Kaderna, who was their second round pick, and I had to go. I had to hot tail to Mesa for batting practice, or I would have seen uh, Pazzini, who was their third round pick. Like uh, it was it was a pretty loaded day of prospects. That's why everybody was around. Uh, um, why. They, their coverage was so great. Um, and, you know, you're, it's hard off a two inning seg, you know, segment to really scout these guys. So I'll be really interested if he, if both of those guys, if all three of those guys end up getting assigned to uh, Columbia next year, that's within my coverage area. So hopefully I can do a long weekend with Columbia, maybe in Augusta or something like that. Well, Chris, I, I always tell people like, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself a scout, um, but I consider you one of the best scouts I know. And I really well, appreciate thanks. you um, taking the time to come on. And I know that you are in the the podcast game as well yourself. So yeah. <laughs> uh, why don't you, why don't you tell people like where they can follow you on Twitter and what you got going on? Well, Hey, I'm going to say this, like, um, you know, I'm at baseball HQ. We're, we're, we're kind of competitors and stuff. And I, I'm going to say this, I, I tell everybody and I, told several people at first pitch this year, if, if you want complete prospect coverage, uh, a subscription to Baseball HQ and a subscription to Rotowire are a complete complement. Uh, James and I go at this two different ways uh, and we seem to arrive at the same place on a lot of guys. Um, and he has a process that is uh, second to none on the, on the data video side um, and like, I, I just I appreciate you, so I wanted to get that out there first. Uh, but that, then, the, but then, secondly, my my podcast, Brent Hershey, who's the uh, co-general manager in the 
the editor who runs kind of the day-to-day uh, what goes up on Baseball HQ, he and I have started a podcast called the Eyes Have It Podcast. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring something different. We're we're both fans of, of your product. We're both we're fans of what Chris Welsh does. Uh, we're fans of what um, what Clegg and um, and Cross do, and even Cross and Roach do on their various prospects, the um, coverage stuff. Um, and we wanted to bring something to talk about guys that we see at the time. Uh, Brent is located in the Northeast. I'm located in the Southeast. Uh, I've got a lot of access to different videos, of course, all the MILB TV. I'm well sourced. I can get, uh, I can scout a guy in a game that has no miles per hour post it. And I tend to know somebody that has seen that game. Uh, I try to coordinate with my, with, with people to try to get the best coverage as possible. So we talk about it and we have uh, long discussions, breaking down evaluation, breaking down process, breaking down guys, why we like them, why we don't why organizations are better than others that are developing them. Because, you know, as James knows, uh, there are, there's big differences between, let's say, Philly's development and uh, Ray's development. Like, there's just big things. I mean, we do, we don't need to pick on the Rockies anymore. We might as well pick on the Phillies. Um, but yeah, like, there's just that. So that's why we, we developed that. Um, we wanted to do something that was unique in the marketplace. And we felt like that was without, without, damaging any of the other followings that are out there and we felt like that was the best way to do it well that's that's awesome man you you are one of the best brent is is great i'm sorry i didn't get to see him this year uh sorry i didn't get to go on a a few car rides and you could tell me about the the glory days of arizona basketball and stuff like that but um bear down (laughs) uh really appreciate it again chris thanks so much for coming on thank you every uh, Anytime you want me, uh, have me, and uh, we'll be expanding to some guests next year. We're definitely going to ask you to come on our show. Oh, hell yeah. Well, I will say yes immediately. Um, this is the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I'll be back uh, with a fresh episode next week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.